Welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. And the big question on today's pod, could housing derail the economic recovery? I shudder to think. But that is one of the questions that is being looked at and being discussed by economists. And there's a great piece over at Politico by Victoria Gita and Katie O'Donnell, who write about this growing concern that housing costs could soon begin to nudge inflation higher. So to start, here is the good news, or at least the good news with regards to inflation. So one of the big questions that everyone's been asking is inflation, because we've, we've already seen it. I mean, we know that inflation is here. So the question is, is it temporary or is it long lasting? And the Fed's obviously been making the argument that inflation is temporary, but there are others, and I guess you could argue that most Republicans are making this argument, that they think that this inflation, that what's happening is here to stay. Wall Street, which doesn't have a political agenda, Wall Street has one agenda, and that's to make money. And so if they think inflation is going to be happening, they're going to act that way. If they don't, they're going to act another The way they've been acting is it seems as if they do not believe that inflation is here to stay and that these price jumps that we have been seeing are, in fact, temporary. So that's the good news is the people that should know, and you'd think so considering that's their business and their job, uh, are acting like inflation's not here to stay. But here's the problem. This is the bad news. Shelter makes up about one third of a key inflation measure, which is why Fannie Mae has forecasted that housing costs could eventually boost inflation by as much as two percentage points by the end of the year. And considering the fact that the fled, the fled, the Fed's inflation target is two percentage points, that could mean the Fed has to act if we're seeing inflation over two percent. For the year, we know that the Fed has eased those ideas and so that it's not going to be that damaging if we see that. But if just one component is leading to a 2% spike, more than likely we're going to see some pretty substantial inflation, which is going to make the Fed act. Now, not everyone agrees with this. That should be noted. Joel Prakin, the chief U.S. economist at IHS Market, told Politico, quote, I wouldn't bet the farm on a big persistent upturn in the housing component of CPI based solely on asset prices for homes. He also went on to say that the rise in home prices could slow down by the end of the year as more homes are built and as already high costs dampen demand. So here's the problem. It's hard to say who is right here because inflation data is still mostly unreliable because of the base effect caused by the pandemic. However, as we get closer to the end of the year, especially when we get into kind of the depth of fall, the data will be more reliable. And here's the other benefit. It will also give us a good indication of what is happening with the housing market. Most forecasts predict that housing appreciation should slow. They're not projecting that we're going to see a turnaround and prices are going to drop. They're projecting, they're, they're, projecting that home price appreciation is going to slow to single digits by the end of the year. And unfortunately, we're kind of in a place where it's we just have to wait and see. I mean, the data just isn't strong enough or reliable enough to give us an indication of what is happening with inflation. So it's really kind of a he said, she said, both sides are making their arguments and both sides just don't have a ton of data to back up what their arguments are. We all agree inflation's happening. The question is, how long is it going to be here? Now, speaking 
of rising prices for shelter. We all know that home prices have been skyrocketing in value, but because of the pandemic, rents have remained somewhat low, and in a lot of cases, they've actually fallen year over year, but that was not going to last. As people move back to cities, as people feel more comfortable in sort of these multifamily units, prices were going to rise, and guess what? That's happening. We already knew that, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. There was a report by CoreLogic that rents were rising at the fastest rate, especially single-family homes, but we're also seeing, like I said, multifamily start to jump. And there was a piece by Heather Long over at the Washington Post who said that rent prices are now soaring as Americans flock back to cities. Che Tor, a realtor in Scottsdale, Arizona, told the Washington Post, I tell my buyers it's a terrible time to buy, but it's an even worse time to rent. And obviously that depends on where you are and the situation. But yeah, for the first time, we're starting to see hard data that, yeah, the rental markets are catching up to what's happening in housing. So the question is, how much are we talking about here? Well, it's not equally distributed nationwide. Some places are going to see much bigger jumps than others. But overall, on average, 7.5% is what we have seen so far this year. That is three times higher than normal, according to apartments.com. And here's what's even more fascinating. The last time we saw nationwide rent averages increase this much, the largest cities were responsible. However, this time, San Francisco and New York are among about a handful of cities where typical rent prices are still below pre-pandemic levels. So where are these increases coming from? The top cities for soaring rents include Boise, Idaho, Riverside, California, Spokane, Washington, Tucson, Arizona, Stockton, California, and Las Vegas, which realtors have dubbed the Inland West. But here's the thing. This is not as bad as it sounds. I mean, if you're someone that's trying to rent, it's a sucky situation. I understand that. But it's actually great news for homeowners. So I, I tend to joke about the Facebook economist. Everyone remembers what happened in 2008, the housing bubble. And so everyone's looking at what's happening with housing prices. And they assume that once again, we are here. But we have debunked that many a times. And we even had new data come out. I think we talked about it in the last podcast. Uh, looking at the new Fed data that shows that the percentage of income that is going to mortgages is the lowest that it has been in 30 years. And these home price appreciation, uh, these skyrocketing prices, it's being caused by lack of supply. I mean, it's simple supply and demand. It's not what we saw in 2008 with the loose lending standards. That is definitely not the case as someone in the mortgage industry. I can tell you that is definitely, definitely not the case. And so everyone just assumes, uh oh, here's 2008 again, but there's so much evidence that we're not in a housing bubble. But one of the concerning factors was that rents were, were low and home prices were high. Well, if you remember in 2008, one of the arguments that was made, and in fact, my boss, David Massione at Atlantic Bay Mortgage, all the time, and he would talk about this on my radio show, and we still talk about this to this day, the big argument that John Malden made, he was one of the few economists out there who said, housing bubble, it's there, was that rents do not support values. 
that in order for the situation to be, I don't want to say normalized, but to know that there isn't a bubble is if rent and home prices are somewhat equal. And if they're not, then you do have an imbalance and you have some sort of problem in either the rental market or in the uh, ownership market. And so what we're seeing is actually proof that what we are witnessing is supply and demand. And so the fact that rents are starting to catch up to home prices shows that what we have is more an issue of we need more homes than there being a bubble that's caused by outside economic factors. So like I said, it sucks if you're someone trying to rent, but the reality is it's actually a sign that the housing market is far more stable than the Facebook economists <laughs> want you to think that it is. Trust me, this is actually a good sign for the housing market because it shows it's not a bubble. Plain and simple. More evidence. I mean, there's so much evidence out there that it's not a bubble. It, it actually requires more faith for there not to be a bubble <laughs> than to believe. I mean, for there to be a bubble, there's so much evidence backing this idea that the housing market is actually somewhat solid. We just need more homes Build, baby, build, as I like to say. Now, here's one of the other issues that's happening with this hot housing market. So some people are selling, they're selling their houses, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, so I got a ton of money for my house, but where do I go? Do I stay where I am? Because now I'm gonna have to now I'm gonna have to pay more money to buy a similar house or a nicer house or whatever you're thinking about doing. And so there's really no benefit, unless, of course you choose to move to somewhere else where home prices are cheaper. And this is one of the big problems that's hitting a lot of housing markets is you have people who are selling their homes in big cities for a ton of money and then moving to a smaller city. Martha C. White over at NBC News writes about this conundrum that home sellers are facing once they sell their home. Where do they move? Uh, president of Remax, Nick Bailey, told NBC News, usually when we see big moving trends, it's from the Midwest to the coastline. Now it's just pockets. He also noted the recent jumps in real estate activity in heartland cities such as Des Moines, Iowa, and Omaha, Nebraska. So this is a boom for small cities. Mortgage originators in small metro areas saw a jump in the first quarter, according to data from Adam Data Solutions, as homeowners are cashing in in their houses and trading up for more space and better remote working conditions. Now, as rents and mortgages start to rise, even in smaller cities, this could exacerbate the labor shortage problem, oddly enough. Jeffrey Stroll, director of research at the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce, told NBC News, quote, if the least educated workers are in the service sector and they can't live near their work, that might add to some of these stories we hear about labor shortages. And I got to tell you, that is a fascinating point that no one mentions. When you talk about the labor shortages, everyone, for the most part, says, oh, well, it's unemployment. And then then the other side is, oh, well, they're they're not paying workers enough. And the reality is, is that what if it's something that has nothing to do with this whole labor situation and it's housing prices? And so it's not necessarily that the job isn't paying the workers what they're outputting. You know, we, we, I, we can have this sort of labor argument about what exactly a job is worth, but the reality is you can only pay someone so much money. You can only pay them what they are outputting. And the reality is you pay them a little less 
than they're outputting because that's where your profit is. That's how you actually make money. But so you can't pay someone $30 an hour that's only making it's only outputting $15 worth of work. That's just the unfortunate reality of the labor markets. Otherwise, your company will go out of business. And so you pay someone, okay, this is what they're outputting. But because of what's happening with housing, which is this lack of supply that unfortunately exists, it's exacerbating home prices. And so people cannot find a place to live. And so they have to move further and further and further out. And on some places like where I live, I mean, to live 10, 15, 20 miles from work, not a big deal. But if you're in Washington, D.C. or New York City, you live 20 miles from work. That could be an hours of commute every single day. And so there is no doubt that that is an issue. And I, no one's really mentioning that. You know, this whole labor debate, it's, it's gotten very political and both sides have their arguments, but no one's sort of arguing this sort of external factor, which is affordable housing. And how do we solve affordable housing? Well, it's simple. Build. <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> I love you have all these like think tanks and these economists and these advisors and everyone's, how do we solve affordable housing? Build. That's, that's, that's how you solve it. Build. It's that easy. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Monday. I will see you Tuesday morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.